Hey, how's it going, guys? My name is Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Jensey. We are the hosts of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Uh, this episode is actually a bonus episode for everybody here this past week. Um, at the time of this recording, Tim and I just finished Season 1, Episode 21, the Logan Brown edition of the Third Line Plug Sensecast. And it really is, you know, looking back, it is very hard to believe that we are now 21 episodes in because at the time of this recording, it is May 19th, 2018, which I know it doesn't mean anything to anybody, but it was one year ago tomorrow on February 20th that Tim and I got together for the very first time to record the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Now, of course, it wasn't known as the Third Line Plug Sensecast at the time. Uh, we didn't even have a name. We just sort of recorded and see how it went yeah, and all that. Really got. Exactly. So, Tim, now that it's been a year, I mean, looking back, like, honestly, do, do you ever think that we would get this far ahead as we have been? Honestly, I was worried that we'd just kind of get stalled at the beginning, get discouraged, and just kind of lose it, because that, that first episode was rough. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and granted, neither of us knew what we were doing in that episode, and I mean, granted, you could listen to the episodes nowadays and still argue that, but... We know just a little bit more than we did one year ago. Well, I think the biggest thing that we did was, uh, instead of just going right into it, uh, we did, originally we settled on five five practice episodes, but we ended up doing something closer to six or seven. Actually, I think we did something like 12, if I'm not mistaken, because we did, uh, let's see, we had three, and then we did a trade deadline episode. Oh, we did the playoffs episodes. The playoffs ones we did, which... None of them have been released, and they're still on my hard drive. I don't think I will ever release those ones. However, for this opening, we are going to release our very first recording. Now, this has never been heard by anybody else except for Tim, myself, well, and I mean, I'm the guys at Maple Syrup Shots because they were the ones who gave us the, all the good advice when we first started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's amazing is just how night and day it was between uh, the first and second episode. So, uh, like, a huge thank you to the guys at Maple Syrup Shots. Uh, another thing that I found that helped me a lot was uh, the visualization of hockey stats uh, really came a long way. So I wasn't just pouring. I had a few ready tables instead of just pouring through piles of statistics. Uh, definitely want to give a big shout-out to uh, Blake Micah McCruddy at uh, Hockey Biz for uh, the great work there, as well as uh, the continued good work by guys like Taylor Dello, and Tyler Dello, uh, Drake, oh, shoot, just too many stats guys to mention, uh, and Travis Yost especially for really getting me on to hockey stats. But uh, now that we've got Tim's belated bibliography out of the way, uh, what did you think of that first episode? You know what? I can only judge it for myself because... I listen to myself. I hear a person who was so nervous and just had no confidence in talking. And it's weird because, you know, and I'm granted, I'm talking to a blank screen. Like, how hard could it be? I'm just talking about hockey. But now that we've done this for a, for over a year, almost a year now, like, I feel that we, I, me personally, I feel I have come a long way. Which is really funny because I always felt listening to that episode that it always sounded like you were so sure of yourself when we were recording those episodes. Well, I think a bit of background on my side is uh, 
I guess we talk about what I do for a living uh, tangentially, but uh, a large part of my work is uh, delivering presentations and uh, specifically uh, over, like over the internet and in person. So I do have a lot of public speaking experience. So again, it was the hard part was just talking about hockey. Yeah, like which, if, which, and you would think that would not be that hard. I think we're we both kind of recognize that we're not hockey professionals. Nope. So it was we had to we had to be that much better just to get even a small following, and uh, the fact that we do have what seems like a somewhat loyal fan uh, like following already is uh, just amazing. Oh, absolutely. Now, given that it has been a year, I've always wanted to know, like, what was your thought process going into that very first recording? Because, and we'll be the first to admit, I think prior to that, we really hadn't spoken in a couple of years, so, and I didn't know how it would go, and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't know if you were even going to agree to doing the show. I had some serious anxiety over that when I sent you that message the first time. I don't know, I guess the thing is, like, I've moved around so much in my life that I'm very happy when uh, people reach out. Yeah. So, and honestly, I like I've been like uh, it's. I've been just trying to like I've been mean to start like a blog or a video series or something. That when this opportunity came out, I was like, you know what, opportunity knocked, gotta take it for sure. And I mean, I know I'm in the same boat when. You know, I always wanted to do a podcast for a couple of years prior to me asking you, and I could never come up with a real concrete idea on what I wanted to do a podcast on. And it wasn't until I was driving to work one day listening to the sentence call-ups, and I can't remember what they were talking about. They were talking about a pl- some player movement or somebody being signed, and I'm listening to it, and I'm going, well, no, that wouldn't have made sense. You know, they should do this and that. And the next thing, and it just went, it clicked. I went, fuck, I should do a sentence podcast. And, like, we both spent so much time talking about this fucking team. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, looking back at the episode when we were recording, one big thing that I did notice looking back on it, that was the very first time the words top of the hour were ever mentioned. We didn't even have a goddamn name. What? Like, and that's, like, I just offhand a segment name? (laughs) Yeah, that was crazy. And it's funny, and... Neither of us even thought of that. You were just like, so, what's up on top of the hour? And I just went, and I went to the pregame. Like, it's such a natural statement. Mm-hmm. Like, it's actually kind of a funny story. Uh, so, uh, when I left Victoria about four, three, four years ago now, uh, I started out my career at the Bank of Canada, and I worked for a very French-Canadian man. But what was weird was... Uh, he had this mastery of English idioms from like 50, like 30 years ago. Right. So like it's the first time I've ever heard someone use the phrase the real McCoy and just stuff like that. And uh, like he'd always op- open up meetings like, oh, let's look what's at top of the hour. And uh, yeah, so like what like when I said that, I got like this little smile just thinking of uh, my former boss, Joss Len. Just... <laughs> bring that just talk drop these idioms that i didn't think anyone used anymore oh, that's hilarious and one one more thing i want to go before we close out this intro is 
the name Third Lane Plug Sense Gas because I don't think we've ever really talked about how we came up with that name. That was iteration, man. Honestly, because we went through so many ideas and originally I wanted to call it the Down Goes Tucker podcast because of the Leafs blogger Down Goes Brown. And and I messaged you that and you just sent me a back going you sent me a message back saying, Boy, that's not gonna date us at all, Tay. <laughs> and, and then you sent back, well, why don't we call ourselves Dollars for Dag? And I sent back, oh yeah, because that's not dating us right there. <laughs> Although I think Dag is eternal. Oh, for sure. And we went through some, you know, and granted, we went through a lot of name ideas. We went through names that we never used, but we came up with, I think, Ragers, uh, Razor's Edge was one of them. I think, like, the first time that we got anywhere close to third line plug i think i was making fun of uh like i think we were like two or three episodes in and i was making fun of uh brian murray signing third like uh third liners to three million dollar contracts i think it was colin greening i think you were just like because you messaged me and you're and you were laughing you're like hey tay why don't we call it um three million dollar plug three million dollar plug and i says well that doesn't make any sense colin greening got paid four million dollars Shit. <laughs> and, and I thought about it. I was like, you know what? $3 million plug doesn't really, doesn't have a real ring to it. Um, I do like plug as a hockey term. And I, start, and I started to think about it. I was like, okay, well, $3 million plug doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But, and I looked at the Sens roster, when you look at Curtis Lazar, Alex Chason, um, who else? Zach Eric Condra. Guys like that who are all third liners. And I said, well, what about third line plug? And I went, third line plug has actually got not, not a bad name. And I messaged you. I messaged it to you. I don't know if he remembers. The, your reception was just sort of a little bit lukewarm on that. It was just like, yeah, it was okay. I think at Like, first do you remember was, this at all? I'm going back to those messages because I think at first it was, uh, that might have just been tip being like oh, i want to use my name yeah but you know what i was the exact same way with down goes tucker when you shot that down i was like oh <laughs> but down goes tucker is such a cool name and a lot of the senators well a lot of the older sense fans like ourselves would have appreciated that more than maybe the younger ones would have mm-hmm. i guess that's one of the hard things was maybe i'm a bit too future focused but uh that's kind of like uh i picked up a lot of that when i used to help run an anime convention where a lot of people are like, let's pay to bring in this guy who did a show like seven years ago. Okay, but what's he done lately? Uh... So like that very aggressive future minding right. was kind of came from that. Absolutely. Going back to what we were talking about, about third line plug and initially did we think about even going with third line plug podcast? I think SenseCast was always in the name. No, I, th- I believe it. I don't think Sense SenseCast came later because Third Line Plug was the shortened name. And then we were, and I was thinking about, oh, you know, Third Line Plug podcast doesn't really have a ring to it. You know, and I was thinking about, and I was saying it over and over and over again. Third Line Plug podcast, Third Line Plug podcast, Third Line Plug SenseCast. And I went, holy shit, that actually works. Yeah, I think uh, Third Line Plug, I don't think that name even shows up until, like, April. I don't even remember the furry first episode we ever used, Third Line Plug Sensecast, in. Yeah. 
like the email shows up around that Boston episode. Yeah, well, we had our old logo. Yeah, like that that name the name took a while. It did. Much like the logo itself. Oh, we have to give Andrew like Andrew Locke mad props for that. I know. I know we have praised him on the show in previous episodes for doing our logo. And it's really funny because Andrew is not a hockey fan. He's not a sports fan. He's a metalhead. He's a guy who's really into music, and he's a very good musician and a very good artist. So when I thought about, okay, who could do our logo? Andrew was the only person I thought of. In the same way, when I wanted to start this podcast, you were the only person I thought of as my co-host. Yeah, and honestly, it's been super, like, it's been really fun. You know what? I will be the first to admit, every Monday night is still my favorite part of the week because I could just close the bedroom door, turn on my computer, and talk to you for an hour about hockey. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to start the week, too. I mean, it's just honestly fun talking talking with an old friend about just one of the things that really brought us together back in the day. Yeah, and look how it's turned out, man. Yeah, no kidding. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up this intro, and I believe at the moment we are 13... Oh, God, do you want to bring th- up some more names we had? Sure. We had the Cult of, Sy- cult of the System. Oh, um, yeah, that was one of them. Uh, something about Shane... Like, there was a Shane Doan joke. Uh, oh, Cult of the System. I'm glad we didn't go with that. I know, because, boy, that would have not gone well nowadays. Not all. Oh, holy shit. Uh, and you know we really lucked out with uh, third line plug. Uh, like like three LP is just such a nice, yeah. Like rolls off the tongue pretty nice. And I had to give you credit on that one because back in the day when we were recording those summer episodes, I went TLPS because third like you know third with T H I R D. And then I saw when I was over at your mom and dad's place, and I saw one of your files, and I said three LPS, and I went. Okay, that's actually not a bad idea. I do things good. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and I guess, I guess one of the last things about the blog is I think, I know I've been talking about the hockey stats more, but yeah, like once the season's over, I think I'm going to really focus on doing some of that sort of stuff. Oh, because sure. like, in one of our old, like going back through some of the other old files that we had kicking around, uh, one of them, I think I mentioned that I did some, I did like penalty analysis and that that's stuff that I don't even, like, I don't even see the other hockey stats guys doing. So I'd I think that's just something worth talking about. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, Tim, we are currently 15 minutes and 24 seconds into this intro. So unfortunately we got to close it out and we got to head on to our very first recording. And I hope y'all like it. Oh my God. Believe me, I... We had so much fun doing that back in the day, and, you know, you can compare it then and compare it now, and you can tell how much has changed, what we've done differently, what we've added to the show. It's really a cool piece of history, and I'm really glad that we get to release it. Mm -hmm. On that note, guys, let's get right into it. Okay, you ready? All right. Okay. How you doing, guys? It's the test version of our new Sense podcast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And I'm the co-host from Frosty Calgary, Timothy Jensey. 
Frosty Calgary, I always thought of it as the tropical metropolis of the West Coast. Tropical metropolis, you say? Yeah. I'm looking outside and I see a frozen river and uh, some poor guy with a cup. Not sure how long he's going to last. Now, are you talking like a regular cup or the cup from 89? <laughs> it could be both. Yeah, you know. Looking outside, hey, check it out, it's Joel Lotto. <laughs> yeah. And maybe some of the Ginless Tears. Ooh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Poor Iggy. Yeah. Okay, but Anyway, so what do we got for the top of the hour? Well, going into the pregame, uh, a couple of notes I have here. Bobby Ryan's out three to six weeks with a broken finger he suffered during the Leafs game. Boy. I know. It's... And? <laughs> <laughs> uh, currently... Uh, as of last night, we are two points behind Montreal with them being three games up on us. And Chris Neal was scratched in favor of Curtis Lazar. Hmm. Thoughts? Well, especially with uh, what happened during the game last night, this is do or die time for Curtis, La Curtis Lazar. It is. And, yeah, so and if he doesn't make it, I hope he likes Vegas. Yeah. Because uh, honestly, with uh, what Pierre Dorian's asking for, I'm at least a second rounder. I'm not sure they're going to move him by the deadline. No. No, you have a better chance moving CeCe than anything else, but... I don't think they want to do that either, because CeCe's finally starting to come into his own. Yeah. That's a good point. Anyways, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into this. First thing off the top, I want to say... Man, the Sens, I've never seen them look so sluggish. Well, actually, that's not true. I have seen them seen this sluggish before. <laughs> God, good thing this is our only our test version, Tim. Um, yeah. What have I got here? It says here, uh, from what I got here, the Sens were really sluggish first 10 minutes of the game. It did pick up afterwards for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. um, however, this... The Jets realized this. They did jump on it with the Dustin Bufflin goal in the first shot of the game by the Jets with nobody covering them. Yeah, and that's honestly been a problem for the Senators all season is that uh, they just, especially on that back and tail end of the back-to-back, -back, it usually takes them well into the second period to really get anything going. Yeah, but I mean, there's been a couple of games I've seen this season where they've got off to a really good start. Actually, the game against Toronto, I was... Even watching that, I was like, man, these guys are really good, and they're they're stepping up towards the Leafs, who were without Mitch Marner the other night. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, just watching this, I was sitting there watching, like, oh, God, I can't believe we're this sluggish in the first 10 minutes. It's almost something, like, just going back to that Leafs game, it's something that, in general, I'm very concerned that the Senators cannot play a full 60 minutes as uh there was 20 minutes in that Leafs game where I think every fan in the building had a bag on their head. Like, after the first Toronto goal all the way till it was 3-2, they yeah. weren't moving. That's true. That is true. Uh, speaking about Dustin Bufflin, I noticed during that game there was a missed cross-check on Curtis, or not Curtis Lazar, Kyle Turris. I don't know if you saw that at all. No, I didn't, but... Uh, that's actually going to be, uh, I think, a recurring theme is uh, coach challenge probably needs to be expanded in these cases. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Uh, it says here, uh, let's have a look here. Jets. The Jets on the power play, they were over 1 
And we were one for four on the power play with Mark Stone scoring in the second period. That's 25%, which is not bad, honestly, especially considering uh, the debacle in Toronto as far as uh, special teams went. True. We are in the bottom, I think we're in the bottom 20 right now in power play. Mm-hmm. If, we're not involved, and that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that's something that needs to be rectified. And And from what I remember from his time in Tampa Bay, that power play was one of the things that... Uh, our Mr. Systems coach could fall back onto. Yes, he could. Absolutely. Is it Parade? Parade for the Jets. He did get behind Dion. Condit did have a piece of that shot, but it did go in for a 2 nothing Jets. What else here? Well, do you want to go right ahead and just talk about the Truba headshot at all? Well, before we go into what's going to be the sticking point for, well, just the, or, or do you want to wait the rest the of the game, let's, I think the big thing we have to look at here is uh, that was a game that you could probably put Jesus Christ in a center center for the last two periods of that game. There was no way in hell they were winning. Absolutely. Like the they were winning in the shots battle. They're winning in the shots. If you look at where the shots were coming on the ice, they were winning there too. Winnipeg had more shot attempts, but once he got into the second period, that went away. It's uh, Connor Hellebuck shut the door. He did, and that... absolutely. Well, sort of the Jets' defense. Yeah. As soon as we got in the offensive zone, there were three guys on him. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I've noticed, which I didn't see in this game, every time Ottawa is in the offensive zone, they have this tendency to pass the puck amongst each other without getting a shot off. Mm-hmm. As a fan, that is so frustrating to watch because i'm sitting here and i'm like could somebody please just shoot it you've got four three or four guys in the offensive zone just shoot the puck mm-hmm. and i that's going to that's a result of the system because what you're noticing is uh coach likes to have three guys back just so that the neutral zone gets clogged up yeah, but that absolutely. means you're gonna have to have more passing play yeah, I, which I don't have a problem with if it works. But for what I'm, but most of the time I'm watching this, it doesn't work. Hmm. Yeah, and that's got to be something. And I think they need to step up with the defense coaching there because it's you've got two for you've got two forwards deep, three defensemen, and either the center or the left wing are usually back with the defensemen. And it's CC and CC and Dion there. They're coughing up the puck far too often. Yeah, which I saw a couple of times last night. Mm-hmm. Even uh, Mark Borbieski, when he coughed it up to... What's the guy for the Jets? Morrissey? Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he put it in. I, I, You have no idea how hard I'm trying not to make a Smith's reference right now with that name. Yeah. It's right there. <laughs> it's right there. It's and right I'm like, there. do I make it? No. I don't know. It's uh, almost as hard of a time as... Uh... Bob Cole has uh, saying the Sens' names right. Oh, God. Well, what about that one game where they were playing Edmonton and... Was it, Dennis uh, Weidman was suddenly on the Senators? That, too. But uh, <laughs> who what, was one of the Oiler guys, he mistook for Connor McDavid. And he goes, oh, here comes the guy. And I'm like, oh, that's that's Ben Wypoulion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't realize that he's the guy in Edmonton now, but... Ben Wypoulion's... He's been effective in uh, Edmonton. He has. He has, absolutely. 
Well, I know a buddy of mine on Twitter, he is a big Oilers fan, and he always tells me about that. He says, man, you know what? Even he's surprised how well the Oilers are doing right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, sh- I really shouldn't be, but I kind of am still at the same time. Well, there's two words about what that team is. And it's not really words, it's a name. Connor McDavid. And uh, the Hockey Buzz blogger for Edmonton did a very good job of spelling that out. When you look at the Corsi numbers yep. with Connor McDavid... Which the Sense Twitter sometimes, Oh, they love the Corsi. Oh, I love my Corsi. But, oh, uh, you're one of those guys, huh? <laughs> yep. Six years, 70% of the shots and shot attempts go Edmonton's way when Connor McDavid's on the ice. When he's off the ice, it's a bit of a bloodbath. And uh, when Leon Dreisaitl gets it, he has a stable partner, it's a bit better. But uh, so far, it's that team, it's been uh, Paige and Connor McDavid. Yeah. Well, especially having Milan Lucic there, too, with them has been a big Ooh. help. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things I'm very happy with is, uh, well, sorry, I mean Milan Lucic being a helpful anchor. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And I always laugh when he was going into free agency and people are going, well, you know, there's two teams he can go to, Vancouver or Montreal. Like, seriously, yeah. did, you, did you, like myself, did you sit there and think, why would he go to either one of those teams? Well, I think the reason why people are saying he's going to either of those teams is uh, Lucic is a player who's on, who's in his decline, so he probably could have gone to either of those teams, got an easy payout, uh, have a chance at a cup run with Montreal being a goalie baby. Or uh, just sit on uh, Kitsilano Beach for the rest of his career. Yeah, or he could just hang out in Gastown. Yeah, no kidding. But getting back to the Senators, uh, one thing I did notice over the last two games is uh, there are two names that have made it very hard to cut themselves out of the lineup. And uh, for uh, Guy Boucher, that's going to be a definite plus going into this hard stretch. Two defensemen. Mr. Weidman. And and, let me guess, uh, let me guess. Freddie yeah. Clayson. Freddie Clayson. Uh. And uh, I think the big thing about Freddie Clayson is that he is able to play. He, he's been a switch, so he was doing well at the forward position, too. Yeah, I did really uh, notice him at forward. I noticed him on defense, but I'll have, I might have to go back and have a look at that. Mm-hmm. But no, I absolutely agree. I feel he's been a really good defenseman for the Sens on the back end. And he's been inoffensive as a forward, which is honestly more than Curtis Lazar can say for himself. Yeah, he probably has more points than Curtis Lazar being a forward too. Uh, to be fair, I think Matt Pumple has more points than Curtis Lazar. Shane Prince. Shane Prince has more points Prince. than that. Actually, I think even Thomas Shabbat might have more points, and he played one game. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Hey, let's be honest. Tommy Wingles. He's Tommy Wing. Tommy Wingles has more points too. Mm-hmm. His one. <laughs> That's true. Which, by the way, as I'm looking at my notes right here, I see beauty pass from Kelly to Wingles. It hit the post. Boy. That. Oh, that broke my heart because he had a wide open net too. Mm-hmm. But that's not why they brought him in. Tommy Wingles is a defensive specialist. He wasn't getting the time in San Jose. But uh, 
I think he's getting enough time yeah. in uh, Ottawa, and he de- he's stabilized that fourth line. That's true. That is true. Well, well, even when he was in San Jose, wait, look. You look at the run- lineup, right? You got Thornton, Marlowe, Pravelski, uh, you know, all the, several players I can name off, the, which I can't name off the top of my head at the moment. But, yeah, I absolutely agree. When he comes to Ottawa, now he's getting more ice time since Lazar's sitting out. Mm-hmm. And I feel he's been quite effective for what we've got him for. You mean two pieces of dryerland? No, that's what we got Mike Condit for. <laughs> and he has worked out awesome for this team. Mm-hmm. And that's that's going to be Senders. That's been Senders in a nutshell for the past few years. Like, even in the Brian Murray years, it was the the low-risk, high-reward trades usually worked out. Yep. But the big spends usually didn't. That is true. That is true. And for a team that's playing with Menlik's money, that's very dangerous. Because you're you're not even a cap team at that point. You're a cap minus $10 million team. So that means your big spends have to be working. Absolutely. Well, I know it came out earlier this week... I mean, no, maybe it was last week. Eugene Melnick, he's telling Pierre Dorian, okay, we're going to take off an internal cap. We're going to put some money into this team. I don't know if you saw that. I'm really happy about that. Do you think that has anything to do with serial leaders, serial leader departing? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I wouldn't be too surprised if that's the case. Because we got that new guy in from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. I know, and... which, oh, going back to the Sun's Twitter, it was very, are we happy about this? Are we not happy about this? I don't know. We're conflicted, guys. Well, Sun's Twitter, they're just good at complaining. That is true. That's why I have been boycotting Sun's Twitter yeah. when the games are on. Oh, I just look at Bonk's mullet, honestly. Oh, Bonk's mullet. What a guy. Did you? I'm I'm gonna make my plug here. Uh, Ottawa's Movers and Shakers Awards, hosted by the Ottawa Citizen, has has a vote for most newsworthy or newsmaking people in Ottawa. Yeah. Bonk's mullet is on the list this time. The yeah. guy doesn't even live there. <laughs> the guy lives in Nanaimo. <laughs> like he lives on the island. How is he? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Well, to be fair, Travis Yost ended up on that list once. Mm. Back when he wrote on Hockey Buzz. Oh yeah. That- is true that is true i think ottawa's just so starved for media attention they'll take anyone that's true hey you never know maybe one year we might make it on there maybe well i remember i used i lived out ottawa way for a year and uh they got a massive chip on their shoulder that's for sure yeah well look at it this way right you you're in ottawa you're in between the leafs and the habs mm-hmm. so really where's your identity in that it's like oh okay so we're a team that Got our asses handed by the Leafs, and fifty-fifty with the Habs in the playoffs. So really, I don't. Know, where do we fit in in all of that between the two? Well, I think the thing is, you have to embrace the fact that you're a capital city team, and you got to make your history off that, and kind of try and tie yourself to the Canadian tradition. Yeah, well, they've done that very well with the original Sens club. Hmm, and I think that. Uh, with they're getting that outdoor game this year, it was a shame if Parliament Hill had hired, that would have been bang on huge for the organization. 
Absolutely. I had my doubts about it being at Capitol Hill just because... Same reasons everybody did, right? You have the security issues. You got to build what twenty thousand seats there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people underestimate how much space is there, though. Like you can without a hockey rink. Like uh, they do, uh, they do light shows there every summer, and they can fit like fifty to sixty people just sitting on the grass. Hmm. If you add some stadium seating there you'd probably be able to get 20,000 people around a hockey rink. Or you could move it down and build a platform on the Ottawa River behind Parliament. I was going to say, what about on the Ottawa Canal? The canal's too narrow. Ah, right, yeah. I mean, it would be, there pretty, is one, it would there be cool to see. Let's not be, let's just mm-hmm. be honest. But if you're there saying it's too narrow, it. then... There's two spots on the canal where you could do it. It would just be very hard to get seating. Because the way the canal works is next to the canal is sandwiched on both sides by two main throughways. You've got uh, Queen Elizabeth Drive on the on the west side, and you've got Colonel By Road on the east side. So you'd have to close off the roads and build state. You'd have to build, and those Colonel By Road is the main way into downtown from the airport. So you'd have to close those off for a few days. So that would be challenging. Yeah, and plus, well, I mean, how much traffic goes through there? A lot. A lot, yeah. So that would be very problematic if you're building 20,000 seats there for the game. Mm-hmm. What are, um, since we're talking about an outdoor game, what are your thoughts on it going to TD Place where the Red Blacks are? Oh, that'd be, that's still a great show. Because the nice thing about uh, TD Place is on is on uh, Lansdowne Grounds, which used to be an old horse racing track. Right. And the whole and that's that's at the bend of the canal as you're heading out to Dow Lake, so you're still going to get some very good pan shots. I think you can actually still see Parliament from the horizon on a good day. Hmm. So uh, it's still a great location. Uh, it's a per like after game and before game. It's going to be a great location because, like the land they built the stadium on, it was huge. So next to the stadium, there's there's movie theaters, bars, restaurants, and that's all in the Glebe, which is a very nice neighborhood. Right. I've never been to I've never been to Ottawa, so a lot of these references you're making is going way over my head. But basically, it would be a fantastic venue for it. Absolutely. Well, what would you thought if they built an arena down there for the Suns? Or is there That'd be a great them? place, but they've gotten, they've locked down an even better location. Le Breton Flats. Le Breton so Flats, okay. Le Breton Flats is the development discussion they've been having with uh, the National Capital Commission over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And Menlik's team has pretty much won the bid now. Right. So what Le Breton Flats is, is it's a, it's this old industrial area that's just west of Parliament. Hmm. And the thing, what's happening right now in Ottawa is they're they're building a they're building light rail subway that's going pretty much right under Parliament. And Le Breton Flats is on that subway line. Right. So it would be like what they do in Vancouver with Rogers Arena. Yeah. That would be perfect, actually. If because mm-hmm. I, I I know a lot of people complain about the arena being in Canada, which is 
what? 20, it's awful. Was it? Yeah, was it 20, 25 minutes outside Ottawa? You're not even thinking about rush hour here. The problem with Ottawa is they have one expressway. It's called the Queensway, and it runs through Centertown and east-west. That thing gets congested as all hell during rush hour. So to get to a 7 o'clock game, you usually have to leave ho- You either have to hope you hop on an express bus, yeah, and that's 45 minutes, or hope you leave before 4, or you're not getting to the game for puck drop. And that's just a regular season game. Yeah. God, what would it be like for a playoff game? What, 2.30, 3 o'clock at that? I remember I went to something that was essentially a playoff game. Uh, remember a few back during the Hamburglar run, they opened up Scotiabank Place? Yep. They had they had two of the three bowls open, and that was full. Wow. It took me an hour and a half to get to the game starting at 10 a.m. Wow, that's crazy. It's just hard... It's Ottawa's transit system is very good. Its highway system leaves a lot to be desired, mm-hmm. and Canada's too far. Yeah, well, I know that was a big problem for for fans for years when they've been talking about the arena. They said that it's too far. Why why don't they build an arena downtown? This was a dumb idea. Well, the thing was is back in the '90s, there was no land downtown. So uh, the, te- the team that put their bid together, they just bought a farmer's field as close as they could. Right. And they actually used, they played where the 67s used to currently play for a bit before they got their own stadium. Yeah, the Ottawa Civic Center. Yes. It's funny, eh? Looking at old pictures of the early Sens, and it's like, man, how did they ever play in an arena that small? Well, that's the thing is you do what you do until you got what you got, right? Yeah, true. Like, uh, I think, like, look at the old Nazo Coliseum. Ooh, brutal. Oh, and, well, that's just a brutal situation, but I think that's for a different team's podcast. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Okay, so, going back to the notes here. The Truba hit? The Truba hit. We will get to that, but one thing I do want to point out is the song Cotton Eye Joe is play, which means Ottawa always has a comeback. <laughs> there was no comeback it disappointed me i man. feel like there's a story that needs to be told here the cotton eye joe yeah i've never heard that yeah i i heard something about that that i can't believe i can't remember who or like who said that but i heard something that the song cotton eye joe if they mm-hmm. were down by a goal they would play that song and the sends would come back to be fair, there's another thing that we're probably going to spend an, a lot of time on. Something, something goal review. Oh, yes. The Sens getting screwed. 3.5 seconds left. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. It really brings up the argument. Why can't they put a camera on the crossbar? Well, the other question is, they should do what FIFA does. FIFA has a sensor on the ball and sensors on the goal line. Yeah. When that ball crosses that line, the sensor goes off. The camera is secondary. The problem is the NHL has no good camera angles because the net's so small and the goalie's so big compared to the net. True. And they, it's can't, not like- and they can't just bring back the old Fox Tracks pucks and just use those. 
Yeah. <laughs> and they can't... I don't care what anybody says. Those things were awesome. They were. And the arenas nowadays, they can't accommodate a goal judge anymore. Like, they don't have the boxes there. Like, the goal light boxes anymore. Yeah, they just have the guy sitting at the light. They, and he's... And that guy, he's not even in the back anymore. He's sitting with uh, the scoreboard controller at center ice. Is he really? Yep. Okay, because I went to, when I was have... at the game in Vancouver, there was a guy sitting behind the the light there. Modern arenas don't even have that. Wow. Like, the box is gone. That's all automatic. Yeah, like, it uh, doesn't surprise me. If you ever watch, like, uh, the Sens playing either at home or at the Air Canada Centre, those goal lights go off automatically. So they have some sort of sensor. Yeah. Like, that's why the whole big old celebration will go on, even if the puck hit the crossbar. That's got to be the worst, though. Like, you get the hordes and all the lights going. And the, the fans, didn't even and the happen. fans <laughs> thought they went in. Yeah. And then there's been times where it was clearly not in. Ref signals play on. The celebration's going on. Someone takes the puck down the other end, scores on the other end. You've got the celebrations battling each other. I know. <laughs> well, do you remember in the World Juniors, might have been a decade ago, when Carey Price, he was still in the World Juniors, and they're mm-hmm. the Americans in the shootout, and he came in, he stopped it, and he backed into the goal with the puck between his legs, and he turned. He turned and to he make set it, it off. Look- yeah, he turned to make it look like the puck didn't go over the net or go over the line. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's the thing is uh, if we're looking at human, if we're using human eyes, we're gonna fall for crap like that all the time. True, and the fact that even on TV watching that, I I couldn't even really tell if a puck went in because there was two or three players in front. Hmm. But had they maybe had a camera on the crossbar. But even, I was going to say, even using the net, the net cam would never have caught that. Because all no. you saw was this pad. Well, the thing is, is that in the Toronto game, they had the ref cam. That was, that was excellent. Oh, I love the ref cam. Because you didn't miss a thing. No, you did not. Uh, the one thing I, like, I think the, G, like, a GPS or an RFID sensor would be good. Um, player building cameras into all the player helmets would help because then you'd have 20 different van- sorry 20 my math's off you'd have 12 different vantage points yeah and then i guess the other thing is and this brings up a third point is maybe this discussion about uh the goal like goal line technology is moot because that goal it's questionable if that would have even been allowed had it crossed the net. Yeah. Pajot was in there pressing on it. Sense fans arguing that it's an open puck. Jets fans arguing that Pajot is moving the goalie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and something, I'll tell you. That's something. Okay, now, look, I know we've been waiting long enough. Let's talk <laughs> about the Truba hit. What are your thoughts? It's an ugly hit that needs to be gotten rid of out of hockey. Yes, absolutely. Because it, he dumped the puck off. Mark Stone didn't even see him coming. Well, if you remember going back to when they introduced Rule 48, their specific example was there's a player going north-south. 
hitting player coming from east to west, principal point of contact, picked point of contact, is the head. Check, check, check. Absolutely. And the only question is, is there intent to injure? And I think if you're picking a headshot, blindsiding someone, intent to injure is inferred at that point. Absolutely. Two games is not enough. Well, no, I feel two games is good for him since I don't believe he's a repeat offender. If he was a repeat offender, he would have gotten five five games or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I was re- re-watching that today, and there's mm-hmm. one hit in particular that I, I recall very similar to that. Do you remember the Scott Stevens hit on Paul Correa? No. Game six of the 3 finals. Uh, Paul Correa dumped the puck off, coming over the blue line, and Stevens nailed him. That's That sounds like bringing it back to this. Remember uh, game two of uh, the 2007 Stanley Cup Finals with Anaheim? Dean McCammon's oh, dumping the puck into Dean the corner. Dean poor guy. He gets absolutely murdered by Chris Pronger. Pronger gets a game. Yeah. Well, considering he had killed Thomas Holmstrom in the series before. Yeah. But going back to what I was saying about Paul Correa, before Correa knew that he came to, he had signed in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and how'd he end up in Nashville? <laughs> I don't know. I hear Nashville's a nice city. I don't... It is. I hear Carey Price might move there next. Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Bergevin's career depends on Carey Price, doesn't it? It does. It does. Even the even watching the Habs struggle, it's like, man, you you really notice how much Carey Price really means to that team. And I think Mike Condon, like bringing back the sense connection. Mike Condon meant a lot to that team, but just because the rest of the team was so brutal. Mike Condon got thrown under the bus, and that's Ottawa's gain. Yep. Well, absolutely. Ottawa and Pittsburgh's gain, honestly. Well, Pittsburgh picked him up for nothing and traded him for a fifth-round draft pick. They literally got something for nothing. True. That, that, <laughs> that is true. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, but we were the we gained in the end with him. Mm-hmm. So well, we got the most gain for sure. That's true. Even, you know, going back to what you're saying about uh, the high, no, the low risk, high reward players, look at Craig Anderson when he first came here. Craig Anderson for Brian Elliott straight up. Yep. First game Andy was here, 50 save shutout. Yeah, and that's when we knew we made the right decision. But at the same time, we did lose the Dag Derby too. Which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, but we won the first Dag Derby, and we ended up losing on that. Well, to be fair, it's never a good idea to single-handedly instigate an NHL lockout by paying a rookie $8 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, Edmonton would have done it with McDavid if they could have. Yeah, although I think it, in my future spite, would be it's a good thing they're not allowed to. Because I imagine part of Dag's disappointing performance was the fact that he was paid $8 million and didn't have to earn it. Yep. 
And then on the flip side, you had Yashin, who absolutely earned his money and got screwed by the team. Yeah. Yeah, th there's a lot of history to unpack there. There is, there is. And then it happened again with Alfredson. That's true. And it, what, what was it, only half a million dollars we could have kept him? Yeah. Well, allegedly, Menlik wouldn't have allowed the Bobby Ryan trade had Alfredson stayed on. Yeah, I wouldn't have blamed him. You know what? I honestly would be fine because we'd still have Silf we'd still have Silverberg and Nosen. And yeah. Silverberg has developed into at least what Bobby Ryan is right now. Yeah, except and Anaheim's not paying him seven million a year for it. Exactly. I really I was really disappointed when we got rid of Silverberg. Uh, even watching him, I was like, oh man. Maybe not as offensively gifted as Alfredson was, but we did have another somewhat of another Alfie on our hands with him. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, is that offense would have come with time. Absolutely. Which is what we're seeing right now with uh, a lot of the players on the Ottawa team, Sands, Curtis, Lazar. But I think we have to talk about, we've talked about the Truba hit. We have to talk about the fallout because the suspension, it does Ottawa no good. They're not playing the Jets again this season. Nope. What... What's going to happen, especially in the run-up to the trade deadline? And I think uh, tomorrow's game is going to be the harbinger. Yeah. If it, Ottawa falls apart without its top three forwards and Tommy Wingles, that's four holes you have to plug. Yeah, it says here, Wingles, Hoffman, and Stone are and both hurt. They're both hurt. Yeah. Hoff, and it looked like Hoff was sk skating sore even during the Toronto game a bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I noticed that a bit too. Yeah, but uh, before we go though, Tim, I gotta say, how about Borvieski taking a shot? He goes down and he comes back. Oh, he's he's made out of God knows what. That's just par for the course, Borvieski. I know. I swear, man. If you look at him, he looks like he probably chews rocks or something. Yeah, he might just be Wolverine, to be honest. Yeah, like. Has he ever not come back from taking a shot to a joint? Not yet, anyway, that I've seen. No, like, he's he's made out of tough stuff. Maybe he could cough up the puck a little less, but for yeah. what he is, Borvietsky is very good. Maybe take, now, take a lesson from Volchankov. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because for a while, shot blocking was very looked down upon. But now that the speed game has started to be figured out. Shot block, effective shot blocking is starting to emerge. Yeah. Instead of just being in the lane of a shot because you're getting, as a hope to end, getting pil getting just absolutely pilfered. If a player can stop the puck and it stops at them, that's a good shot block because that, because that ends the possession cycle. It does. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Tim, is there anything more you want to continue with? I think we just have to, basically, the thing we have to look at is, over the next two, the next few games, if Ottawa can't pull it together and loses three, we have, Ottawa has to con reconsider if it's a buyer at the deadline. Yeah. The one nice thing is they didn't, they didn't jump on that offer for Duchesne. 
That is true. But there was talks of last year we were going to be jumping on him as well. Well, there was also that in Taylor Hall. Yeah. That is true. However, I would have I would have preferred having Landeskog here, but I feel the price for him is too high. It was Cody CC, one of Logan Brown and Thomas Shabbat, and a first-round pick. Plus. Yeah. Sackick is out of his mind. One of my buddies is a Colorado fan, and uh, I just check in on him every so often because I don't want him to kill himself. <laughs> we are talking about the worst team since the two the 2000 Atlanta Thrashers Ooh. and maybe even worse yeah. they're on pace to get less than 30 points this year yeah but fair but in Atlanta's defense they were an expansion team <laughs> what's that say about Colorado well that's different they're not an expansion team <laughs> Yeah, I think that's actually brings out a, another very good point is just because he got you a Stanley Cup on the ice doesn't, doesn't mean he mean, can do it in the boardroom or in or behind the bench. That's true. <coughs> Gretzky. Look look at McTavish, look at Kevin Lowe, look at all those guys, Gretzky. Yeah. This is why Messier is like, huh, I'm not going into coaching. Yeah. And luckily, Ottawa oh, doesn't that, have... I got six Stanley Cups. I don't need this. And I think this will be an interesting discussion point for the offseason. It will. What What happens with Daniel Alfredson in the front office? Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't want to see him in a position where he's involved with player movements. I'm happy where he is right now. But, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want him to see in a position where Sackick is where now the team's looking at him like, okay, make us a winner. Mm-hmm. Or at least ha have Alfredson eased into it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm still not, I'm still not moving on Alfie becoming someone in power. Yeah. We'll have to see how he operates in the organization for the next few years. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, All right. Okay, Tim, until next time, I am Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Jensey. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see in. you next time. Perfect.